Welcome to the Total Financial Podcast Channel. Hello, this is Scott Whitehead, your host for today's Total Financial Podcast. Today, we're going to be focusing on decoding the current state of IUL. We're going to take a deep dive into the current market conditions and the effects on IUL. We're going to decode the IUL multiplier factor and explain how to properly design an income case. At the end of the day, you're going to get a really deep look into IUL, and you're also going to have a really good sales perspective because I think it's important to know both. We have two very, very special guests with us today. Um, I've had the privilege of working with both these gentlemen, and they are two of the top minds in IUL. Our first expert today is Todd Pettit. He's the Assistant Vice President of Advanced Sales at Allianz. Our second expert today is Scotty Kellen. Scott Kellen is the Division Vice President at Allianz. Welcome, guys. I'm happy to have you here. It's great to be here, Scott. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Wonderful. Well, why don't we kick this off and talk a little bit about background and talk about your guys' background. And I will say I worked with these guys back in 2007 when IUL was fledgling. And I remember standing in a room, 100 and 150 agents in a room when we raise our hands and go, all right, who's sold IUL here? <laughs> You'd have like two or three hands in a room. You have that question now and just about every hand will go up in the room. Why don't we just jump in and hey, Todd, what's your uh, give a little background on IUL for yourself. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, for me, uh, surprisingly, I've come from the actuarial side of the house and uh, been an actuary for 26 years, uh, mostly focused on life insurance design and took that over in Allianz in 2001 and have, up until uh, a month ago or so had built every IUL that Allianz has ever released. So like you, grew up with the IOL industry, knew it when it was fledgling. I think that's a really good word. And uh, have experienced all the highs and lows that have come with IUL. It's certainly not a market segment that can be ignored right now. It, it is here. And like you said, you don't see two hands going up in the room anymore. Uh, and even if you choose not to be selling IUL, uh, you should at least be aware of it because your competition certainly is. Oh, absolutely. How about you, Mr. Kellen? Scotty, I've been, uh, you know, with Allianz for about 16 years and uh, probably the last 14 or so involved in the life insurance side. And, uh, you know, I started out, obviously, it's an, it's an indexing company. So that's that's what we were doing. So uh, then I started working with actuaries quite a bit. I was getting questions on premium financing, got deep into that, didn't even know where I was going with that, you know, originally. That really helped me kind of dig deep into these policies. And I've worked with Todd for a long time. And, uh, you know, I've heard Todd speak a thousand different times, but you always hear a new twist on the IUL side, you know, listening to him and then uh, other actuaries that we have as well. Uh, and it's pretty incredible just seeing, number one, it's funny, you look at an illustration from 2007 and how much white is on that illustration, how clean that illustration is, right? Today, you can barely find the white with all the disclosures and everything. And so it's pretty interesting to see how the products have evolved and changed through the years. And then the other great thing, kind of going back to the premium finance theme, you know, a lot of those cases uh, typically are pretty large cases. So you always kind of keep those cases in your mind. And I love going back and looking at annual statements, you know, from policies that uh, were initiated back in 2007, 2008, for example, and just seeing how those policies are doing. Let's jump into the current marketplace. Obviously, there has been a lot of change happening in the last three months and a lot of uncertainty, a lot of volatility in, in the marketplace. And just to point out from an IUL standpoint, boy, it's been, uh, there's been fast and furious, Todd. Kind of talk a little bit about that current environment. Yeah, with the current environment, um, you know, volatility at all time high, um, 
10-year treasury at all-time lows. It, it's certainly a marketplace that has caused panic in the, you know, in the general equities market, general bond markets, just in, in you know, in general. And, and you, you see that volatility so high, Scott, it, it scares investors. It scares your clients. It scares your agents because I don't know what to expect, right? I mean, it, it's not uncommon now. We don't even blink anymore when any of the major indices are up or down 1%. And that used to be a really, really big deal. And now and now it's just, oh, oh, it's up up a point and a half, down a point and a half today, and, and it barely phases you, which is an interesting new normal that uh, ha has emerged. Uh, one of the great things about a life insurance portfolio uh, is that it takes away some of that. Uh, life insurance portfolios at carriers use what is known as a portfolio method of investing. So this means that if you were a client of Allianz's 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, or today, all of your money is going into the same investment bucket. And that has a seasoning or a stability to it that you really can't find in the general marketplace. So let's just put some real numbers around that, Scott. Right now, Allianz has approximately $5 billion of reserves backing our life insurance promises. And those those uh, you know reserves are earning about four and a half percent, which is why our fixed account on our you know portfolios right now are around four and a half percent. Well, we're we're buying new bonds right now at lower than four and a half percent. That shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. We're in very low interest rate environment. Maybe we're buying bonds around three and a quarter today. What does that mean for your clients? If nothing changes by the end of 2020, our portfolio will probably have decayed to something like four thirty five. And then we'll be offering your clients a 435 fixed account rate or whatever rates and caps those would buy should they choose to be an indexed account. And no carrier is immune to that. But what think about those numbers I just talked to you about. When you have 10-year treasuries at 70 basis points and we've got a, a life insurance product that is really, really good at accumulating money and at distributing that money on a tax advantage basis, and I'm using numbers like 435 at the end of 2020, if things continue, that's a very attractive story. And you can see how that story, coupled with the power of, of the index options that are in, in these products, 0% guarantee, has really resonated with consumers. So yes, uh, I, uh, IULs, life insurance carriers, are affected by this market environment. But because of the way we invest, we, we give a little bit of a security blanket to your clients and your agents because they're, they're shielded from that storm. Now, that'll go the other way too, right, Scott? Now, if interest rates were to you know, spike tomorrow and, and the general marketplace was investing at 5 to 6%, you would see our life insurance portfolio slowly tick up. So it, it's, it's fast, it's, it's slow up and it's slow down. And uh, I think that stability has really resonated with consumers and that's why IUL has really uh, come on the scene lately. Hey, Todd, what kind of lag time do you see when rates go up and rates go down? What kind of lag time do you see that affecting caps and rates and so forth? Yeah, I think that'll differ uh, between each carrier, you know, and, and, and with the severity of the of the jump. You know, I think most carriers on their life insurance portfolio like to set rates annually. That's a general rule of thumb. Uh, obviously, you know, your mileage will vary uh, among various carriers. But I think we're all shooting for about annual maintenance of this. But you, you have a, an instance like, you know, just occurred with the, the COVID crisis in the markets. Uh, that's Those were big shifts. And so I think you saw a lot of carriers taking action because volatility had shot so high. And that really affects the price of the options. So a lot of carriers, you know, moved quickly. Uh, in general, I think you'll see us move about once a year uh, and a little more frequently when things get crazy. 
let's kind of circle back a little bit and maybe go back to some of the basics, Todd. Maybe spend a, a bit of time on how a, a cap is actually built and how all these different things going on in the marketplace affect that cap. Yeah, certainly. Well, we've talked a little bit, Scott, about the uh, asset side of things, and, and that's certainly one half of rate setting is how much do I have to spend on these caps and rates? And so in the instance of Allianz, I just told you that our portfolio was yielding approximately 4.5%. So let's just use that. Uh, I, what Allianz will do in setting the rates and caps that we offer to our customers is we will go out and buy options that are worth 4.5%. And so the equilibrium of rate setting is always asking the question, how much do I have to spend? That's my option budget. And how much do these rates and caps cost? That's you know the cost. And, and on that annual basis, or maybe more frequently, if things get interesting, then I, I'm trying to equalize those two. So right now, the rates and caps that Allianz has in place, whether that is a 150% participation rate on our our volatility controlled indexes, or whether that's an 1175% rate on an S&P point-to-point cap, all of those cost Allianz approximately 4.5%. And of course, as the year goes on, you know, those will drift up and down a little bit and the carrier will watch that, you know, closely. Uh, after all, rate setting is both an art and a science, but the science side of it is simple, right? How much do I have to spend? And how much do these options cost? And let's equate those two. Now, the art side of it comes in, you know, as you might imagine, well, over the year, I have to choose between a drift in, in, in those, that balance and then frequent changes. In theory, I could change those rates and caps every day to perfectly match what I have to spend and what they cost. And I would drive you and all of your clients nuts because I'd have a different rate and cap every day. So we have to be practical about it. But that's, that's uh, rate and cap setting 101. How much do I have to spend? How much do they cost? That's a really good reminder to to agents out there, Allianz, all the other carriers. You're not making money on your option budgets, and you're not making money on the fixed account. Your whole goal is to be neutral on that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, I think that's one of the interesting things that you get from people, f- you know, first into the IOL marketplace, or even sometimes from your seasoned veterans that that will, you know, look at a carrier and say, "Wow, you, you've dropped your rate, or you, you know, you've increased the rate, or you know, maybe I capped out this year and the market was up twenty five, but I only got a sixteen percent credit." <laughs> Can you imagine that, Scott? I only got a sixteen percent credit, right? And uh, and and so they'll ask the question, "Well, you know, you guys must be making out like bandits," and in general, no, no carriers like you just said are, are neutral to these things. We want to spend every penny of our option budget that we have on this basket of options that will turn into the return we've promised your client. And to the extent we're underspending or overspending, um, you know that's that's something that we're leaving on the table or or taking a loss on. And carriers generally don't do that. Again, there's going to be drift in the middle of a year because we want to set that annually and not move rates and caps too much. Life insurance contracts are a long-term proposition. The last thing we want to be doing is moving rates and caps monthly on the life insurance side uh, because that just is too much confusion. On the annuity side, that's a very different story, and, and you will see rates and caps move monthly, but it's a whole different industry. On the life side, we look for more stability. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's that stability of the rates and caps that you've come to count on, and it's because we can take a longer-term view on the life insurance side kind of the hot thing in the marketplace right now is this multiplier. When, you know, I've grew up saying zero is your hero. I know you two did. Well, these multipliers now have a cost and it's it's taken that zero is your hero and, and it's kind of changed that window of wealth. And I think it's important that we have a discussion around these multipliers, what they are and what caused them. And I think 
part of that started with HE49. And so everybody could get into the illustration war. Todd, I think it's important to uh, kind of levelize and start to have a little discussion on that. You're absolutely right, Scott, that HE49 was the genesis of a lot of the new designs that are out there today. Um, I know one of the call to actions for this podcast will be uh, to request a deck that I know Total has uh, been a big part of helping us develop and, and promote, and that's our Evolution of IUL deck. And so please, uh, you know, we'll talk a lot about that in the next parts of this podcast. It's our, it's our look at what went on in the industry. Uh, what went on uh, in AG49 that caused the change to product designs out there? And then most importantly, what do these changes mean to the agent and consumers? And that's that's really where I think there's a lack of information out there. And I know that Total is a company that prides itself on agent education and being the best uh, at that in the industry. So I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about this because it's extremely important. I think the regulators got a lot of things right with AG49, and I think there's some consistency to the illustrations that didn't exist before. However, one of the things that the regulators certainly did not get right with AG49 is the incentives that it provided to carriers. Uh, if you are a carrier and had always competed on a spreadsheet, and, and so I have the highest numbers, therefore I have the best product, and as the three of us here know, um, the illustration uh, is is definitely not an indication of what's the best product. The illustration is one view of the future, uh, and one one possible future, uh, but it doesn't indicate the best product. To, to know what the best product is, like Scott was saying, it's it's the design that are permitted and the changes that are permitted and the carrier's ability to maintain rates and caps and the product's ability to withstand different differing returns and things like that. And, and that, you know, uh, AG49 created a, an incentive to only focus on the illustrated rate. And so carriers got very clever, Scott, as you've indicated, and they started adding multipliers to the designs. And let's just get something straight. The multipliers are actuarially sound. It is a very fair thing for me as an actuary to say, I have a 4.5% option budget. If I charge you, the client, uh, a two and a quarter percent asset charge, and that's a really weird number, I apologize for that. You can see immediately that now I've taken my four and a half budget and I've got one and a half times the budget needed, right? So, um, uh, so what, what could I do with that one and a half? Well, I could buy one and a half times the amount of options that I would normally buy. And there, now I've created a, a multiplier, if you will, Scott. I've created a 1.5% multiplier. So whatever return, whether you're in an S&P point-to-point or if you're in a volatility-controlled index or a global index, whatever it is, I've now bought one and a half times the number of options, and I can give your client one and a half times whatever return it is. One and a half times zero, one and a half times 10, one and a half times 74 that Scott mentioned earlier, and, and that, that's a fair game. It's actuarially sound. But what did I just do? Like you said, I took that zero is your hero off the table because now that I'm charging you an asset charge of one and a half every year, when you get a zero, you're really getting a negative one and a half. And so you've changed the risk profile of IUL a little bit. And that's one of the things that's well beyond some, uh, you know, a subject we could tackle on this podcast. It would take several podcasts to do that. But I think that deck, uh, the evolution of IUL does it very well. It shows the, it can help show advisors what are the consequences of higher and higher multipliers that are out there. Why stop at two and a quarter percent charge? Why not have a 5% charge? Why not have a seven and a half percent charge? Uh, and and it, it, it 
probably doesn't surprise you, Scott, to know that th those charges are out there. If you want to pay a 7.5% asset charge for the corresponding multiplier, it's out there. And uh, you think about a story you know, of IUL, and it used to be a 0% floor, and now we could talk about a negative 7.5. That is a very different product than a product that has a 0% uh, guaranteed return. Uh, so uh, once you've changed that, you've really changed the risk profile. But what the regulators didn't take into account is that that illustration is woefully un underprepared to show a client what happens as a result of paying that high asset charge to get a high bonus. And uh, that's the problem that occurs today. And that's one of the things that we've tried to address at Allianz with education is to show, hey, look, this is actually sound. It, and some of your clients might absolutely want the ability to multiply their returns by one and a half, by two, by two and a half, whatever's out there. Uh, but that comes with a consequence. And what is that? And that consequence is a wider range of returns, higher highs, lower lows, leverage cuts both ways. And if we put that information in front of the client, I think what we'll find is most clients will not want the multiplier style design. They'll want to be on the shallower end of that, maybe a 50 basis point charge instead of a 750. But, uh, but let's get the education in the hands of the consumers and, and the agents so that you can see the impact of those multipliers because they have changed the, um, the game. They've changed how illustrations look. And, uh, you know, can they work for the consumer? Absolutely. They're a fair game. It's, it's the carrier using that additional money to buy additional options. That's a fair game. There's no, no one being cheated here. Uh, it's just a higher risk. And let's show the client that risk so the agent and the client together can make an informed decision about what product and what style of multiplier is right for them. Okay, uh, you just opened a can of worms for me. I got like 6,000 questions. But I'm going to keep them simple. I've got one for Scott and I got one for Todd. First one for Todd. There's a lot of ways to illustrate these things. And Todd, I've heard you talk about illustrated rates in the past. What's how, what's the best way to explain and illustrate and to choose an illustration rate on one of these case designs? Yeah, I, I think that's that's a fair question, Scott. I'll give you two answers. Uh, one is a simple uh, rule of thumb that I think you and all of your uh, agents and clients can use is that uh, add 2% to the carrier's fixed rate. And I think that becomes a really good proxy of what you might be able to expect. Um, that 2% re represents a risk premium that a client could expect. They have seen it historically, and I think it's our models indicate that that's a, a, a reasonable future ex expectation. So then, then you know, it becomes a question, what is a future fixed rate going to be? And that, you know, I would leave to, to you uh, and, and, and your team to determine where you think interest rates are going. Carriers don't speculate on that. But right now, uh, Allianz's fixed account rate is four and a half. If you would add two to that, you'd get 650. And I think that rep represents a very reasonable return that a client can expect. And then you, of course, have to follow fixed rates carefully to, you know, to adjust that expectation. Um, the second thing I would say is when it comes to, you know, what, what do I illustrate at and how do I look at these? I think uh, take a close look at that evolution deck when you get a hold of it. We give some really good tips on how you can add some conservatism to those illustrations. And uh, it involves tempering the income. So if you are used to running an you know, illustration at, say, 6%, 6.5%, and it shows a supplemental retirement income coming out, maybe a 50000 or whatever that number is, how, how likely is it that that 50000 can actually happen for the client? This deck answers that question. And, and it also tells you how to dial that number up and down to change the probability of success. So I think the first one's a little bit easier, Scott. The first one is fixed account rate plus, plus a risk premium. 
I think 2% is very reasonable in that regard. And then the second one gets a little more technical where I think they're going to have to reach out to your team to, to understand what does this mean to my client with all the new designs that are out there and these, these some products with higher risk profiles than others and how do I wade through all of that? And the, and the good news is there is a way to wade through it, but you, you have to uh, work with the right people. I know it's a, a, a long answer to your short question, but work with an expert on this because uh, dialing up and down that income to make sure your client's goals will be met is a very important part of IUL. I've heard you say that a number of times, and it just, just resonates for me. You, you said the word wade through these. And this is where I think Scott can help us a little bit from a sales perspective. I have a lot of carriers to choose from. You know, and I'm, you know, I'm going to look at where it fits best for the client. But I think when we start comparing designs, whether it's from an income standpoint or an accumulation standpoint, Scott, I'd love to have your perspective on, you know, how do we compare these? I got five illustrations in front of me. How do I compare them? Well, it's not easy, especially today, Scott. You know, there's a there's a lot of fine print buried into uh, illustrations. Uh, you know, some things are guaranteed, some things are variable. You need someone that really understands this. So, guys and gals that you have there at Total, you need. It's it's very hard, first of all, to keep track of every single carrier. These things are changing consistently, and we're seeing them change even that much more now with you know AG49 coming into effect uh, multiple times and do this again at the end of this year. So, keeping on track of all these is very tough. So, you need someone that can really keep on track of all these things and know where there's some fine print buried into these illustrations as well. And the things that I'm looking at are bonuses, guaranteed, not guaranteed, where can they move, loan rates, where can they move? I'll, I'll tell you a trick. I, I don't know if it's as prevalent now, but here's how complicated these things are, can get. And this is why you need the, the guys and gals at Total Financial or any, you know, any of these organizations that really understand these products is, I'll ask you this simple question, Scott. If you could borrow money out of your IUL at a 5% rate, or a 6% rate, there's no trick in that question. What number would you want to borrow your money at? 5%. Of course, right? But what if I told you, if I showed you an illustrated loan rate that could be borrowed at 6% versus that one that could be borrowed at 5% and the illustration at 6% a loan rate would actually show you better income. And here's what's happening. And, and, and again, I don't know if it's as prevalent now as it was, but we know what the AG49 does on loan rates. It says you can only illustrate loan money at 1% more than your loan rate. So if a loan rate is, if you're illustrating something, let's just keep the numbers clean here at 7%, but your loan rate is 5%, that loan money can only be illustrated at 6%. 1% above the illustrated rate. Let's just say I had a variable loan rate and I could I could pick and choose my loan rate. Well, if I picked my loan rate at 6%, that would allow me to illustrate my loan money and unloan money at 7% because that's 1% above. And therefore, that would end up showing about a 4 to 5% increase in income over a policy where you could actually borrow the money at 5% simply because of what AG49 has put into that structure. So these things are not easy to compare. And you know, I talked about back in 2007, a lot of white on that illustration and very easy to understand illustrations. It's not the case anymore. But those are the things that you really need to be able to uh, decipher or have someone that can decipher that stuff for you so you know exactly what you're purchasing uh, with these illustrations. We see a lot of them. And one of the things I always go back to is I, I always like to look at, A, what are they illustrating at? B, what are they promising? I think sometimes when you look at these illustrations, they come out as a promise. And I always want to know, are they going to be able to hit that? Are they properly designed these cases? You know, are they funding them at target? Are they funding them at full? You know, there's a lot of things that we can look at at these. 
But I want to circle one second back to Todd. We've talked a lot about AG49 and the rates and so forth. What's next there for AG49? Since the uh, advent of the multipliers that we talked about, Scott, the regulators have taken notice that uh, that this has you know created a new risk profile for the consumers, and they they see it as a bit of an abuse of the illustrations. So the regulators are relooking at AG forty nine and their intent. Although you never know where regulation is going to end up because they're in the middle of it right now. Their intent is that multipliers illustrate no better. Than a product without a multiplier. Now, a couple of things there. One, I use the word illustrate no better. So again, that whole discussion we had about you know a client that might want to take more risk and you know pay some asset charge for higher upside potential. In reality, it will still work that way. But on an illustration, it will not look any different than a product without a multiplier. That is almost certain to happen. Uh, that has gotten regulatory buy-in. That has got company buy-in. Uh, and so that is very likely to happen. The regulators are very concerned about closing as many potential loopholes for future IUL illustrations as possible. So I think uh, when AG49 version 3 or whatever they're going to call it comes out, and we're predicting that to be around November, December of 2020, you will see a very different illustration when it comes to multipliers. And this will remove the incentive for companies to have these high multipliers that can add significant risk to an IUL contract. So I think you'll see product design change to meet with this. The one thing we don't know, Scott, and I would encourage you to follow this very closely because this will be very important for your agents, is that it's unknown as to what will happen to the enforced policies. There are two sides of the debate right now to say that Enforce should work just like new business. And if new business goes to a model where multipliers cannot be shown any more favorably than non, then uh, Enforce should do that too. And of course, the other side of the coin is these were shown with the multipliers on the illustration. And if you were to take them away, it would show a markedly different performance and cause the consumer to lose confidence in a product where the actual outcomes haven't changed. So uh, two sides of the debate there, and uh, I think I would encourage you to you know to keep up on that one, and I know you will. It, it will change how Enforce illustrations look going forward. So look for those changes uh, fourth quarter of 2020, and look for carriers to respond fairly quickly thereafter. Um, Allianz ourselves, we already have a product in the works as we speak. We are likely to launch that either in the fourth quarter of 2020 or the first quarter of 2021, and it will reflect the new uh, guidelines that come from the regulators on AG49. We covered a lot of stuff today. And I think if I'm paraphrasing, number one, you got to know your products. You have to understand the carrier you're working with. Number two, case design is so important. You have to make sure you're matching the risk profile of your product and design and funding pattern to your client. That almost out of everything that we have said today is probably the most important thing that we do. So at total, that's something that we will help you do. We will help you design the case that'll work for your client, whether it's using our good friends at Allianz, which they're extreme experts at this, or you know, a, a carrier that fits them differently because they're just different factors. But I think that's probably the most important thing that we need to look at. It's been a pleasure to have you two on on the Total Financial Podcast on this. You know, it's it's fun to listen to experts that really understand this marketplace from the, the technical standpoint and the sales standpoint. So guys, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Scott. Hey, thanks, Scott. And I just want to throw one last thing out there as well. You know, we've talked about illustrations and whatnot. I think one of the things that's very underappreciated 
I've been in there for 16 years. And uh, I always like to say, I'm not an underwriter. I'm not a doctor. You tell me, you know, it's a table four because the client's got a bad heart, barely know what a heart is. And so what I, I would really encourage is, you know, with Diana and team there, you guys have an underwriter in-house and she has been outstanding working a table four to a standard, et cetera, et cetera. Having someone that can speak the same language as an underwriter and discuss that case to try to improve the offer, it's invaluable. I would say, I, you know, out of all the GAs that I work with, there's probably only two or three that really have someone in-house like that. So don't ever uh, underestimate the power of that as well. And uh, I know from a sales guy, we all get paid the same. Appreciate it when she can step in and help us as well and the rest of her team as well. Yeah, we appreciate that uh, plug, Scotty. Uh, Diana's team is is quite impressive on the underwriting side. A couple of follow-ups. There is the evolution of IUL PowerPoint that Todd and Scott and his team have put together. It is a, an amazing PowerPoint. Give us a call and we'll send you a copy of that. 1-800-989-7500. Again, 1-800-989-7500. You can also, for more information, you can go to our website. It's www.totalfinancial.com. With that, I want to thank Todd and Scott again, and I want to thank all our listeners for joining in on this episode of the Total Financial Podcast. Thanks. Thanks.